Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach. And back in the saddle this week, producer, co-host, engineer, call screener. We're still looking to update his uh, job description, add some more things on there. Mr. Chris Morales, back in the house. Back in the house. Glad to be back. 646-564-9909 is the number. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in and speak to us. Just want to listen to the show. You can go to our show website, blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. You can also call in on the call-in line and listen to the show from there if that is your only means to do so. you got to make it happen. All right. All right. Special show today. Uh, we're doing a number of things. Uh, we're today is uh, the birthday of a one uh, late great Joe Williams, former employee of Daytop and Our Common Ground. Um, and one of the things I've been thinking of is over the years, he he would have been fifty-two today. Okay. Over the years when, uh, you know, since his passing, and this year would be year nine, so it's unbelievable that next year will make 10 years. just doesn't seem that long ago. But I think when uh, people, when I would describe him to people as my, you know, as my best friend, we're childhood friends, friends since age seven, he used to chase me when we got off the school bus. That's how Mm -hmm. we ended up becoming friends. Um. I think the term best friends, because it's been so watered down now, doesn't uh, accurately describe. So I think I'm going to go with the term wingman. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think that says it all. Yeah, that has a good ring to it. Okay. Yeah, he, he and I were wingmen That's for it. each other. So um, let's go to our recap. Uh, from last week's show, uh, We did our topic was on... Uh, relationships being a number one trigger for a relapse. 
and I want to correct something for the editorial record. All right. <laughs> I realized uh, during the show when I when I stated the acronym FLAP, which stands for uh, uh, fear, loneliness, anger, pain, and pleasure, an easy tool method for people to use to learn how to you know verbalize and identify their feelings. Mm-hmm. And I said you can also interchange with that uh, the word love. And then, but I said you can exchange loneliness for love. It's actually love for loneliness because loneliness is the original L. Okay. There. I'm the one who added the uh, amended and said love, love that you can replace it with depending on whatever your circumstance was. Sure. Okay. So I wanted to clear that up. I also wanted to give you an opportunity to update our, our listeners on uh, Nana. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll try and keep this as brief as possible. Um, we, as a family, and she in person experienced another uh, setback. She was well on her way to uh, relatively full recovery and was released home. Um, and she was only at home for gee, I don't know, 36, maybe 36 hours um, before uh, having to be taken to the emergency room. Um, There was a setback that was caused basically due to being immobile when you're bedridden for a long period of time and you're old of age Mm -hmm. um, and your blood's not circulating the way it should be and you're not assisting it in circulating via moving around or sitting or standing up. Um, some complications can arise, and unfortunately for her, they did, and they were pretty serious, um, but she responded well to the treatment that she was given in the hospital for, I want to say she was there for about five days, four or five days, um, and she is now back at a rehab facility, which is where she was before she went home the first time, mm-hmm. and um the goal is the same with her being there to regain strength, try and put on a little bit of uh, weight, some weight that she had lost, which she can't afford to lose weight uh, in the first place so she can get stronger and support herself in standing up and walking and being mobile. Um, and so, you know, we, we've just got our fingers crossed and we're going to continue to support her in this kind of transition to hopefully eventually going home and being well. Okay. Um, but the major catastrophe, so to speak, or what could have been was averted because she responded well to the treatment. And so that the reason she was taken back to the hospital is no longer an issue that has been resolved. So we're happy about that. Good stuff. Good to hear. Um, and I'm sure you'll keep us abreast as, well, as yeah. she improves. No, absolutely. For the listeners or whoever is going to catch the show on the rebound on a podcast or whatever it may be, um, I understand from the host here that there were some uh, either regular listeners or people who had heard the show who were commenting on the Facebook page, just kind of wanting to know how she was doing or asking about myself or that she was in their thoughts. And uh, that was very flattering to me and means a lot to myself and my family. So for those of you out there, um, who did listen and commented. Thank you guys for, for your thoughts and your comments. Okay. The NBA draft is this Thursday. And folks in the Bay Area needn't worry about the draft because we are the champions. We'll just preface this uh, little segment with that. 
We will edit that out <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> yes. Your uh, Knicks, however, us, on the clock. Us New Yorkers are on pins and needles. This is it for us. It's oh, This is for all the marbles for the next five to seven years. In Phil we trust, huh? Make the right pick. It's got to be a game-changing pick. And then... He's got to spend the thirty to thirty-five million dollars and get some a couple of use it wisely game-changing free agents, which can change the course of the franchise and uh, put us going in the right direction. That's right. And so I will be for the first time in a long time because you didn't know years ago Isaiah Thomas traded away so many of our number one picks. Yes, I do recall that. We haven't had a top pick in years, so I do recall that. Um, all of us are. Uh, our, our long-suffering Knicks fans. It's been 43 years, for God's sake, mm-hmm. since we've won a championship. Are uh, going to be paying attention for this, and uh, and most of the pundits are saying that the the Knicks are actually going to impact the draft the most with that fourth pick, who they choose. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of European players now coming into the mix that our pundits are saying are possible picks that yeah. teams may take. So that's we right. don't know if that's just pre-draft, you know, Jargon. positioning and blunder, but we'll see. Uh, we'll talk about that next Tuesday. I'll either be happy or I'll be sad. <laughs> My guess is you're going to be happy. Uh, every every mock draft that I've seen has that, uh, I forget his name again, but the electric point guard um, coming on over to the Knicks. So. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's get to our uh, topic today, uh, war stories, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and as I wrote in my show description, we normally don't, we frown upon the clients telling war stories. Used to be a booking. Yeah, right, we want we want them to focus on the present and the, and the future, not about their past. That's right. Um, especially the negative aspects of their past lives. But today we're making an exception because I'm going to tell some war stories in regards to myself and my late great friend Joe Williams and some <laughs> of our adventures in the early days. And just uh, just so the audience knows, a good war story has a little sprinkle of everything in the description. It has a little good, bad, and ugly. Yeah. It makes a good war story, but, so but it should the, be entertaining. But the key is is that each one of them, and they're short, short, short shorts, each one of them has a moral of the story or a karmic ending yeah. to it in some way, shape, or form. Um, and after uh, after a couple of the stories, we'll play we'll play uh, um, throughout the whole show. We'll play some of Joe's uh, favorite songs, but we'll play them after a couple of the stories. And uh, um, so it's about him today. He's been fifty-two. June 23rd, cancer, like myself. That's probably why we got along so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so these are the five titles of the show of the stories that I picked. Now, obviously, over a 35-year friendship, there's plenty, there's, to, pick plenty from. to pick from, right? <laughs> yeah. So I picked five, and these are the titles. You've made the cut. The Wrong Man at the Wrong Time. That's number one. Number two, Joe starts working on a holiday. Number three, the Masters, Augusta, Georgia. Number four, the Masters, part two. 
And number five, The Wrong Man at the Wrong Time, Part Two. Yes. No one has any idea what they mean. Don't let the titles, don't try and <laughs> look at the titles. Okay. The Wrong Man at the Wrong Time. It was the winter of 1981. Oh, yes. Late November, past past Thanksgiving. Frigid, I must say, probably in the teens. And, yes, we were walking to the spot. In New York, the spot is known as the place where you go to buy weed. Okay? We were poor, so we were only going, four of us, to buy a tray bag. That's a $3 bag of weed, folks. Okay? And it's about a half a mile walk to the spot. It's a decent walk. We're bundled up in the winter in New York. Okay? Evening, you know, just past daylight savings time, so it was getting dark at around 5.30 on we started the walk. Made it to the spot. Made the transaction. Now, at that time, I was not a full marijuana user. I was just starting to dabble. Okay? So I was kind of going along for the walk. Sure. The transaction was made, and we were on the walk back. While walking back, we noticed there was a person walking behind us. Now, from growing up in New York, automatically your survival instincts and tentacles and and antennas go up. Because it wasn't that someone was walking behind us. It was the way he was walking behind us. Like, at an equal pace, keeping a consistent equal pace. Okay, normally we're walking slow, you know, talking to each other, playing around, what have you, right? And, you know, taking up the whole sidewalk and someone will walk around, get in the street and get in front of you because you're taking up, you know, you're walking too slow. Yeah. Okay. But this guy kept a purposeful distance, close enough to kind of hear what we were saying, but far enough back where we didn't, we didn't turn around and say, dude, what are you doing so close up behind us? So we get halfway down the block, and he starts to close the gap, okay? And so now the conversation decreases because all of us, without speaking, are one, you know, starting to sense that this guy is coming up behind us and not making any effort to go. Because common protocol is you walk, you go in the street, and you walk around and get back on the sidewalk. You don't try and just plow through the group, right? okay? That, that wasn't common protocol. He's getting closer and closer and closer until he's right behind us. Now, evidently, he was scoping us out. He saw who made the transaction, who had the bag of weed, okay? And it happened to be Joe. Now, let's describe Joe. Joe is a white male. He is one of only two white males at that time that existed in South Jamaica, Queens. All the other whites had moved out. So it was Joe's family, and that was it. Okay? And another guy who lived maybe about four miles away that we were aware of. Okay? So Joe happened to have the weed in his hand on this particular walk back. And the guy started lining himself up behind Joe, picked up his pace, and started sprinting, grabbed the weed out of his hand and ran up in front 
And this is where he made his fatal mistake. Now, nothing fatal happened, but he just made a fatal error. He ran in front and turned around and said, what are you going to do about it? Now, we were momentarily stunned and shocked because this has never happened to us before. And Joe was, the look on his face was a combination of, you know, how dare you, what just happened, et cetera, et cetera. And then the legend starts, uh, yeah. which, ha- which will forever live in infamy. After the shock wears off, okay, Joe hits him with a right hand to the jaw. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Now, we're all still in stunned mode, okay, because we just can't believe this is happening. Yeah. But Joe has come out of stunned mode quicker than us. He's now in go mode. He's now in fight mode. Okay? Hits the guy with a right hand square to the jaw. Okay? The guy doesn't and the goal is we're trying to get the weed back. Yeah. Guy doesn't drop the weed. Now, in the winter, Joe used to wear one of these heavy heavy biker leather jackets with the chains and whips and all that stuff hanging, you know, hanging yeah. off of it, right? Yeah. He took off his jacket and started swinging it like a lasso and whipped the hell out of him multiple times in the head with his leather jacket. The guy dropped the weed and ran back the other way down the block. Now, the other three of us are just standing in the street watching this because when Joe took off his jacket, they kind of circled each other, and that's when he started whipping him with the jacket. And eventually he threw the weed on the ground and ran. And we just stood there stunned for a minute that this actually happened to us. And we realized, you know, we picked up the weed and gathered ourselves, started continuing our walk back to where we lived, and, of course, talking about what just happened. And we realized that the guy thought that he can take Joe. Oh, had to have, yeah. You know, he thought, you know, what is this white dude doing living around here? He's got the weed in his hand. I can take him. What's the moral of that story? Don't judge a book by its cover. There you go. Because he was the toughest one out of the group. Not just the group that day, but out of the whole peer group of us. It was about ten of us, and then the core four. Yeah. He was the toughest one out of all of us. So that guy picked on the wrong dude that day and got the beating of a lifetime. He got his lesson. And it, and it spread Throughout the neighborhood, like wildfire. Of course. That this guy got beat down by Joe. And so he made his chops that day. (laughs) That's pretty good. So that's the wrong man. (laughs) The wrong man at the wrong time. At the wrong time. That's an appropriate title. And, uh, yeah, I can imagine on a really on a cold day, too, where... Ice, ice the, cold, ice cold. The football frigid. hitting your hand stings. You know yes. everything stings. So yes. he, he definitely, he definitely got a bad one. And of course, we didn't wear gloves. If we did wear gloves, it was driving gloves. Um, it was just a, it was just a, a thing. You know, we were too tough for gloves. You know what I mean? No matter how cold it was. Yeah. And so he had his driving gloves on, and just clocked them, which <laughs> stunned the hell out of him. And there they are circling each other like they're in a boxing ring. And then he's decided. 
I don't know what makes him think of this, but it was the right thing to do. He took off his jacket and used his jacket as a weapon. Yeah. And was hitting the crap out of him. <laughs> the guy gave up. Never saw him again. And we went back to that spot many times. We just never saw him again. And never ran into him again. Never ran into him again. that spot ever. Never. Any of you guys run into him at, like, school or? Never saw him before. Never saw him since. That was it. Joe Joe sent him into the abyss. So we don't know if he was just someone who wasn't from around Maybe there because the neighborhood. most of the people in the neighborhood knew Joe. Okay. You know, from us going to the store and, you know, whatnot, they, they know him. They knew he lived around there. Right. So this guy obviously wasn't from around there because we never saw him again. Right. Never saw him yeah, again. and you'd run into him at least yes. once or... Maybe the beating was so bad he decided he needed to move out. He hey. couldn't face anybody after that. Hey, there were people standing in their doorways. Look, what, what was all this commotion on the street? All right, so that's the first story. The wrong man at the wrong time. Story number two. Joe starts working on a holiday. You're, you want to drop the song for that for that story? That we selected before we get into story sure, number right, two? Let's, let's, let's drop the song for that And one. just a reminder to the audience and for those who have called in who didn't catch the very beginning of this, each one of these songs that we're going to play after one or a cluster of stories about Joe um, ties into a song that Joe liked or one of Joe's songs. So this is all kind of in honor of Joe. So we'll drop the first song. Thank you. 
We said, okay. Now, remember, folks, this is back in the 80s. He and I boarded a TWA flight with a bag, of, a heavy-duty gym bag. You know, back in the day, they were made of the vinyl or what yeah, have you. Yep. Okay. I like the duffel bag type right. gym bags. We had a car battery because he said it needed a battery. So we had a diehard battery. Enough of our tools to make whatever repairs that we believed, based on what he was telling us, the car needed. Yeah. Okay. As our carry-on. Nice. Can you imagine that today? A car battery. Trying to get through security <laughs> with a car battery and up things that can... When we when we thought about it years later, that someone could just look at that and say, well, "Are you guys trying to make a bomb?" Right, exactly. You know what I mean? And so that was our carry-on. We were going from JFK to Atlanta, Atlanta to Augusta. How far is Atlanta from Augusta? Forty-five minutes. Plane. Plane. Okay. Short short hop. Okay, right. but you got to go into Atlanta, Hartsdale. Yep. Major airport. So JFK to Atlanta, no problem. We had a layover, about an hour and a half, two-hour layover. And we went outside the terminal, and uh, Joe proceeded to – this is summer of – early summer of 1982. Now, he he had already turned 18, okay, um, and I was still 17. Okay. Okay. We went outside, and he proceeded. To, we sat down on the cement seats that they had out there in front of the airport at the time. Mm-hmm. It was pretty empty. It was in the afternoon, so it wasn't rush hour or anything like that. And he proceeded to roll a joint. <laughs> now his back is to the terminal doors, so I can, and I'm sitting in front of him. We're straddling the the, the bench, right? And so I can see the terminal in front and whatnot. Off. In front of the terminal, off to the left, I see a Jeep, and I just joked. Wouldn't that be funny if that was a policeman just sitting over there? The reason we joked is because we've never seen a cop sitting in a Jeep coming from New York. They only drove in, you know, Chrysler's. Right, sure. Joe's finishing the rolling of the joint, licking it and doing what the motion you do in your mouth to seal it. And the moment he does that, the car door opens to the Jeep, and out steps this six-foot, seven-inch, probably seven-feet-tall with his state trooper cap on, out of his car, and struts on over to us. Of course. What you boys doing? (laughs) Nothing. Where you headed? Uh, We have a connecting flight to Augusta. Where you from? Oh, we're from New York. What you doing down here? A friend has asked us to come down here and fix a car that his uncle's giving him, and we're going to drive it back. You got your tickets on you? Uh, no, all of that is in our um, in our locker with our luggage. Let's take a walk. So now we're now you're very a little panicky. Very scared because we're wondering what this guy is going to think if we go to our locker and he sees what he sees in our locker. Yeah. Okay. He walks us through the airport. You know, you know how airport in the terminals are. You know, long walks yes. till you get to the escalator, the elevator. 
So we're walking through, and we get to the top of the escalator leading down to the lockers. And he stops and turns to look at us and says, all right, guys, I just want to tell you something. Stop doing that stuff. It does something to your brain. Now get out of here. <laughs> so he saw. So we, of course, galloped down the escalator with sighs of relief and what have you, and eventually board our plane to Augusta. Yeah. And on the plane, of course, we're saying to ourselves, you would have been arrested and sent to prison. Me, 17, they would have called my father, and he would have had to come down to Atlanta to get me because I was still a minor, and I could have imagined what that plane ride would have been like on the way back. <laughs> oh, man. For him having to come down there to get me. Yep. And, of course, what are you doing down there in the first place? Because back in those days, we didn't tell our parents where we were going. Right, We just sure. went. Yeah. And if we were gone for two or three days, I mean, I'd call my mother, but, you know, we were gone for two or three days. It was no big deal back then. Yeah. You know what I mean? But for him to find out where I was in that manner would have been a giant deal. Sure. Okay? Remember, this is back in the day. Okay? <laughs> And my father was the type, he wasn't a physical man, but I could have imagined him giving me the business verbally all the way on the flight. Oh, sure. Back to JFK and on the drive back home to, to, the, to, the, to the house. That would have absolutely okay. happened. So we get there, we get to the car, and it is nothing like what Thomas said. Worse. Worse. It has no radiator, no radiator. Okay, you can tell it hasn't been driven in years. I mean, there's cobwebs and leaves and the whole nine yards. Thomas gave us the impression that his uncle was giving him a car that he had just stopped using because he got a new, a different car, and this car needed a battery and a couple of other tweaks to just get it, you know, get it going, yeah. and that it'll be fine driving it back, no problem. Because it was an everyday driver. That's the impression he gave. This car looked like it had been sitting for 15 years. <laughs> You're rebuilding a car at this point. And the uncle, very nice guy, beautiful house. Okay, We said, there's no way we can drive this car back. There's no way. It needs way more than a battery and a few turns of a few wrenches and screwdrivers and sockets and whatnot and to tighten some things up. This car hasn't been driven in years. He said, oh, didn't Thomas tell you? I said, no, he didn't tell us that. He said that you were giving him a car because you got a new car and that, you know, all it needed was a battery, basically. He says, oh, no, I haven't driven this car in a while. I said, well, how are we, how are we going to get back to New York? That's the dilemma. Okay. The whole day goes by. How are we getting back home? We spend the night in the uncle's house. How are we getting back home? And finally, the uncle says, I'll buy you guys return tickets. And so you can get back home because obviously Thomas didn't really give you the full scope of what the car, the condition of the car was. And so we got back on the plane with our bag, with a battery in it, and our tools. Short hop to Atlanta. This time we did not go outside and roll a joint. <laughs> Lesson learned. Too scared. Got back on the plane from Atlanta to JFK. Made it back home safely. 
and told Thomas, you don't know jack about cars. <laughs> that uh, car hadn't been driven since the 1960s, it seemed like. Oh, boy. So that was the Masters, Augusta, Georgia, part one. Okay. All right. Let's go to the Masters, part two. Let's do it. Okay. The uncle has a different car that he wants to give Thomas. Can we go down there again? Oh, my goodness. Now, of course, Joe and I are adventurers. Why not, huh? Why not? This time we talk to my uncle. Okay? But the the catch this time is Thomas can't afford to buy his plane ticket to go down. So we borrow a car, a friend's car. Scrape up enough cash to get us down there knowing that we're going to have a car to drive us back. Right. Okay? We drive 900 miles. We left at 10 o'clock at night, New York time. Got to the New Jersey Turnpike. Joe was driving the first leg. We woke up about three feet from the guardrail. Holy moly. At the same time, it was the rumbling of being on the grass yeah. that woke us up. Yeah. Okay. And he calmly, Joe was at the wheel, he didn't panic, he calmly got the car back onto the road. I said, pull the F over. <laughs> yes, we left at 10 o'clock at night. We've been awake all day because we were hustling, trying to raise the money. Who, whose car can we borrow? Blah, 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 blah. The car that we used, we didn't know the background of the car. Let's add that to the story. Okay. So we've got an unknown history. Yes. Okay. I said, pull the hell over. I'm driving. We almost died on the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> I drove the rest of the way there with him sleeping in the back. Now, we're past Virginia. We're now in North Carolina. It's in the middle of the night. Okay. And we're now, let's say, um, dawn is coming upon us. Okay. I've been following this El Dorado for about 200 miles. And you, you know what El Dorado looks like from back in the day? So, yeah. Okay, up until 1979, there were the big, long ones. Mm -hmm. And then in 80, 81, they kind of shortened them. Okay. So this was one of the short, new sure. ones. Okay. I was following him for about 200 miles. From medium and got behind us and it followed us for about 30 miles. Okay, and I kept on saying, Joe, there's a state trooper behind us. Mind you, I'm 17 in New York, you got to be 18 to get a driver's license. Oh, wow, Not like okay, in California. So I'm driving on a uh, driver's permit. Okay, Joe had a license. Okay, okay, the only time you can get a license before 18 is if you take driver's ed in school. All right, okay, of course, my school didn't have it, so I'm waiting till I turn 18. Sure. Okay. That didn't stop us from driving. Okay. So I said, Joe, there's a state trooper behind us. I said it about three times until the fourth time he said, what the F do you want me to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes back to sleep. Okay. The state trooper eventually pulls onto the side of us in the left lane, pulls in front of us, and pulls over the caddy. Oh, wow. For speeding. And we just continue on. 
sailed off. Sailing on, on our way. I said, Joe, he got lucky. He pulled over the caddy. No response, because he's dead to the world. We finally pull over at the beginning of South Carolina at a gas station to gas up. And I became very worried, because I said the scene didn't look right. Remember, it's the early 80s. We're in the mm-hmm. South now. Joe is sprawled in the back, and he looks dead. <laughs> so here's this black guy pulling into the gas station to gas up a car with this white guy sitting in the back, sprawled like he's dead to the world. Yeah. that's not, That picture doesn't look right down there. No. <laughs> well, a black guy and a white guy together doesn't look right down there, okay? But him sprawled in the back looking like he's dead doesn't look right. Okay, so I quickly gas up and get back out onto Interstate 95. And we finally reach Augusta, Georgia at 3 p.m. the next day. Okay. Top of the top of the heat of the day sure, in yeah. Augusta, Georgia. And we pull into a Zippy Mart, similar to a 7-Eleven. We call the uncle from the back in the day, pay phones. Call the uncle from the payphone. Say, "Hey, we're here. We're at the Zippy Mart in town." The uncle shows up and says, "I don't have that card. That's what I was going to give to Thomas." Yeah, right. <laughs> After all that, I huh? said, "You're kidding, right?" Once again, how the hell are we going to get back home? Because this particular car, come to find out. Did not belong to anybody. Oh, perfect. And he said, we're not driving this back 900 miles. Right. So a couple of the guys that were hanging around the Zippy Mart. So picture in your mind people hanging hanging around the 7-Eleven. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of the guys that were hanging around the Zippy Mart. Of course, we looked totally out of place. Okay, so of course, all the questions we're getting are, where are you guys from? Yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, where are you guys from? We're sitting on top of old school Coca-Cola coolers that have the old school Coca-Cola bottles in them, the long long neck bottles. Yep, long okay. neck glass bottles. Talking to the uncle, saying, this is messed up. You know, I once again, <laughs> here we are, 900 miles away from home with no money to try and get a car for Thomas, and you're telling us that there is no car or the car that you have is not going to make it, something to that effect. How are we going to get back home? Well, one of the guys who were hanging around yeah, okay, got wind of our plight, said, hey, I can steal you guys a car to drive back to New York with. <laughs> no problem. We can help you out. Oh, my goodness. We said, okay. Help so, us out. So here's me and Joe in the darkness of Augusta, Georgia, prowling around with this guy while he tries to steal a car for us to get back home. <laughs> so simultaneously, we're thinking, at least I'm sure he's thinking the same thing. What the hell is wrong with us? Okay. But mind you, folks, between the ages of 16 and 18 is a lethal combination of dumb Ignorance and stupidity that come together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all of those are in play right now. 
So I'm thinking to myself, I'm sure he's thinking to himself, what the hell are we doing down here? And what the hell is going to happen to us? Right. Okay. It's pitch black. There's no street lights. Remember, we come from New York. There's street lights everywhere. It's like daylight at nighttime. Yeah. Okay. And we're walking around with this guy who we don't know from Adam who's trying to steal a car. We eventually decide to sell the car that we had for $150 and spend it on two hotel rooms. And we'll say, we'll figure this out tomorrow. 11 o'clock the next morning. Knock on the door. It's the uncle. Oh, okay. He says, listen, word is all around town. And the local police knows that there's two guys here from New York trying to steal a car to drive back to New York. <laughs> so the lady, the lady, is here's the, coming up now, the lady at the Zippy Mart, because we kept going in, you know, buying a soda or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, got to know the lady at the counter a little bit. The lady at the Zippy Mart came out of her pocket and bought us two bus tickets back to New York. She said, here's two bus tickets. I'm taking you guys to the bus station. Get out of here. Yeah. We never never knew the lady before then, never seen her since. All we said to him was, can you give us, can you give her our eternal thanks? Okay. What's the moral of that story? Well, there's, there's a moral and there's a karmic ending. The moral of the story is that there are angels in this world. Yeah. Because here you have a lady who didn't know us from Adam, knew we were in trouble. Right. Okay? But I think knew that deep down we were good guys, okay, and didn't want to see us get in trouble and being, and being so far away from home, mm-hmm. okay, and came out of her pocket for whatever the the value of the bus tickets were, which back then, you know, it's not cheap money, even right. though it was probably, maybe it was $110 she paid for both tickets combined, but back then, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a, a lot of money. Of money. yeah. And uh, to send us back home. So the karmic part of this is that it was a 23-hour bus ride oh, from Augusta, wow. Georgia, back to New York. So the universe paid us back, saying, this is going to be your lesson. Yes, Another part of the universe saved you with that that angel, but we're gonna pay you, give you a lesson to not do this kind of stupidness anymore by having you sit on a Greyhound bus for, a full for twenty three hours. Oh man! When we got back to where we live, it's called Rochdale, South Jamaica, Queens. We had saved one of the old school Coke bottles because we didn't see them anymore. It was like they were extinct. Sure. Okay. And, uh, of course, when we got back, got off the bus, uh, the local city bus, because we got to the main bus in, in Manhattan, Greyhound let you off, and we got public transportation back to where we lived. Uh, we were so happy, we threw the bottle up in the air and, and let it bust on the ground. You <laughs> <laughs> made it back unscathed. We made it back. We part. made it back safely. That's right. Oh, man. Yeah, that's uh, – you guys certainly managed to uh... – Wiggle out of that Wiggle, one. Yeah, we we we've uh, we've come out some things unscathed and and learned some some lessons along the way. Sure. Okay. So um, why don't we play? 
the song to close out that one, the masses part two, and then we'll get with our, our last story. All right, sweet. We look forward to the last uh, bit. I'm excited. Here's a little music for you guys.
Welcome back to Rochon Recovery. We're going to hit our last war story. Uh, I got to say, we got to look forward to some some more war stories, hopefully. I mean, this segment has become quite fun, I got to say. Just hearing the couple of stories right now, you guys, uh, if you got many to pick from, there's a lot more we got to get to. <laughs> no comment. There's a lot. All right, we'll get to the next. Yes, war stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're talking about Joe Williams today, some of our adventures. Last one up, The Wrong Man at the Wrong Time, Part 2. Now, we learned, again, here we are, circa summer 1982. This is when we learned about actual true injustice. We saw it with our own eyes, experienced it. And it was unbelievable to be a part of it and realize there was nothing you could do about it. We survived it, but it was just unbelievable. Now, we grew up in 
let's call it a housing project. But back in the day when it was first built, it was called a co-op or even a housing, quote-unquote, development. Okay. But it was a housing project. And uh, my bedroom window, I lived on the 12th floor, faced a parking lot, one of the parking lots. Okay. And so what Joe would do is he would drive his car into the, one of, down the aisle of one of the parking lots directly underneath my window and blow his horn, which would be like my alarm clock. In 30 minutes, I'm showered and dressed, and I'm downstairs, and we're ready to rock and roll. Yes. Okay. It's it's 1982. None of us have any jobs. It's a big recession, if anybody guys remember back then. So we're just hanging out. We're fresh out of high school. We didn't go on to college. So here we are, hanging around, right? So uh, we decide that we're going to have a morning taste. Okay. Of weed. And uh, no need to go to the spot this time. Uh, Joe had some on him. Okay. And he had his father's car. And so he picked me up in front of the building. We drove back around and went back into the parking lot and parked in the spot that his father's assigned for his car. Sure, okay. And we just sat there chilling, smoking a little bit, talking and whatnot, and just, you know, enjoying the... Late morning, going into noon time, you know, and you know it's quiet in the projects at that time, and you know everyone's either at, at work or you know still upstairs because it's hot. Okay? okay. Now, an interesting twist, especially with all the stuff we've been seeing on television lately, with white police officers and black um, persons, males, and their interactions and how they've turned out. Yep. Joe was harassed by a black officer for okay. most of his teenage life in Rochdale. His name was Cherry. All right. We just knew him by his last name, Cherry. I don't know what it is about Joe he didn't like, but he harassed the hell out of him. Oftentimes, he would come up to us. He would see Joe smoking. He would say, let me check your pockets. He would find the weed. He would take it, pour it out on the ground, smash it with his feet, throw the bag back at him, and then get back in his car. That's how it was back then. Okay, yeah. Okay. So we're sitting there, and he was a detective, so he was in an unmarked car. And he pulls up in front of us in the other row, him and his partner. And they get out and walk, one on each side. Cherry's on Joe's side in the driver's seat, and the other guy comes on my side in the passenger seat. And he says to Joe, so... What were you doing at about 10.45? And Joe says, I was sitting right here. Yeah. And the other guy says to me, he says, can you confirm that? I said, yeah, we've been together since about 10 o'clock. He parked in the lot, blew his horn for me to come downstairs. I live right up there, and he picked me up, and we came right around. We've been parked here for about maybe an hour, hour and change. Mm -hmm. It's about 11.30 now. Um, and he says, well, you fit the description of someone who robbed a lady in Building 19. This is what he's saying to Joe. And I said, that's impossible. We've been sitting here since almost for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. What time did this happen? He said, oh, it happened about 10, 10, 15. I said, we were sitting here at that time. And he says, well, I'm sorry, you fit the description. And he hooks him up. Wow. Hooks him up. I say to the other guy, I said, 
Come on now. We've been sitting in this car since 10 o'clock, okay? This happened all the way across at least a, a, a three-quarters of a mile away on the other side of the complex, okay? He said, well, there was an old lady, and she said it was a white male and, you know, about 20 years old, and he fits the description. I was like, oh, my goodness. So they hook him up with the cuffs, take him to the precinct, which is right behind us at literally 50 feet behind us. Wow. Because okay. where we lived had a police precinct on the site. Okay. And so the precinct was right behind us. So I just, I got out the car. We locked the car up. They took him in the car. They could have just walked him over there. Oh, they wanted to make a big deal. They put him in the back of the car with the cuffs. And I just said, okay, I'll meet you. I'm, I'll, walk, I'll walk over and meet you guys at the precinct. Walked over. They booked him. And they have a little jail cell down on the, the basement yeah, floor right. down there. And so I then walked back to the his building, building six, and go up to his, his house and let his mother know what transpired. And, and she was upset, obviously. Um, and I said, you know, this it was, it's it's a mis, a case of mistaken identity. Um, it wasn't him because we were both together at the time, so it's impossible. And here's the injustice, not only the fact that it was a mistaken identity, okay, but we 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 realized who it was. Remember I told you earlier about there was another white guy who lived in the neighborhood? Yeah. Well, him and Joe are similar in description. They're mm. both about the same age, same height, same physique. Okay? And if there's only two white guys in the whole local neighborhood, okay, yeah. easy to get them confused. Well, the other guy was a gangster. Oh, okay. He was a known robber, thief, mugger. Sure. Okay? Yeah. And so it hit us that... They're confusing you with this guy. And the injustice is that Joe's parents couldn't afford to hire a lawyer, okay? So he eventually had to plead to a petty theft, you know, pay a fine and, and whatnot. And I remember his mother asking me, she said, did, did, he, really, you know, did he really not do it? I said, Miss Williams, of course he didn't do it. Not only was it was he with me, I said, we, you know, we might do some stuff. We might, you know, do some stupidness. But I said, but we don't harm other people. Right. Okay? That's not who we are. And she said, okay. And, you know, as years went on and we we thought about, you know, how, you know, we didn't, there was no way we could fight it. We didn't have the money to fight it. And so you had to settle for being charged with a crime that you knew you did not commit, okay, and that we knew, we realized who the actual perpetrator was of the crime, okay, and that you just had to, like, eat that injustice, mm. you know what I mean? And his mother passed away in 1986, and, you know, when she passed away, we said, I mean, if she had any doubt, she knows now that it wasn't you right? That who did that, um, and that's not who we were. Let me just add this about Joe's mother, by the way, because she treated she had four sons. She treated me as if I was her fifth son. Mm-hmm. Okay, and but one of the things that we used to laugh about after we left the house, because uh, we would hang out in his house a lot, is and they were Catholics and they had the uh, the holy water at the front door. His oh, okay. mother would splash me with the holy water <laughs> <laughs> on the way in. <laughs> and so when we would go on some, when she would know we were going on some of our adventures. She would splash both of us with the holy water as we were walking out the door. Sure. You know, as a way of saying, you know, hopefully, you know, God bless you and hopefully you make it back safely. So, 
but she treated me like I was one of her sons. Um, so that's the wrong man, the wrong place at the wrong time, and the wrong man, and injustice. Oh yeah, no, that's no good. No, no uh... and so that, yeah, that's burned us for forever. That just just stuck in our craw. Wow. You know, I mean, even though it had no apparent you know effect on us as we grew into adulthood, et cetera, but it's just like it's amazing how something and, and you understand now how people can get caught like that in a system and just get rolled. Right. You know what I mean? And if you're poor and you have no way of defending yourself, that you just have to like accept the lowest lowest possible punishment just to get out of it when in fact you're really innocent. Hmm. And there was no public defender back then, huh? There was, but in New York City now, you can imagine how how overwhelmed they are with cases. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And, of course, the first thing they're going to tell you is there's no question about, well, did you do it or you didn't do it? It's, okay, this is what we're going to plead you down to. You sure. know, It's not a case of, no, I didn't do that. Well, they're not spending any time defending you to the Supreme Court. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's about how quickly they can get rid of this case. Right. You know? It's not, I mean, it's not like that where we live now. Right, right. You know, where course. we live now, they'll fight. They'll fight for you all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was you know, public defender had you know three, four hundred people. Sure. So I'll plead you down to a petty theft, and you know, get out of here, pay a fine. Boy, did that! And then we would see him, the same detective, you know, every now and then driving by in his unmarked car. We would, yeah. We would just look at him, and 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 we knew. We knew that he knew that we knew that he knew that it wasn't Joe who did that. And he knew that it was that other guy. Yeah. That's the end of my war stories on behalf of Joe for today. Pretty uh, pretty exciting and entertaining war stories. I'm relatively certain we're going to get some requests for more of these. Uh, that was almost like a movie over the radio. So that's good stuff. Um, want to close out the segment with a final song for Joe for this segment and then yep. get into the recovery sport time? Sure. All right, we will do that. Thank you all who have been patient. Some of the callers with questions. Recovery sport time is next. I'm going to sound
Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. Well, 
but seriously, Oliver, I want to I want I want I want to thank you once again for those stories. Like I told uh, Chris, I was getting a little emotional there listening to those stories. I was laughing and crying almost at the same time there. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad that you were, because uh, yeah. that, that is the kind of memories they they bring back for me, and and I'm so sure for you also. Yeah, and I just want to take this time since I'm on the air. I want to I want to wish Joe a happy I want to wish Joe a happy 52nd birthday to my brother, your best friend, and your wingman. That's right. That's it. All right, Orville. All once right, again, it's... thank you so much. The family and I very much greatly appreciate it, and uh, keep up the good work. All right, sir. Thank you very much. All right, and one more thing, Orville. Happy birthday, Joe. We love you. And how about that, Joe Williams? How about him? <laughs> All right. Toodaloo. All right, and God bless. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, toodaloo. Anthony. God bless. Uh, the toodaloo comes from Joe, by the way. That's what Joe used to say. Oh, he said it to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go to the phones real quick. Uh, Paige, been holding a long time from Reading. Welcome. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Yes, I've been holding for a very long time, but I really did enjoy the um, the stories, and um, it's kind of cool to, to hear that you're doing it in memory of somebody who's passed. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I do believe that we uh, that you gave me homework, and um, yeah, I've been thinking homework. about it. Yes. Okay. Let's and, hear it. Um, you, it's very diffi- it's difficult homework because, uh, you know, of course, the time. Uh, so the homework was to figure out when I made, like, when I truly made uh, the, that decision to relapse, which wasn't at the time of the actual relapse, right before, you know, I, I actually relapsed. It's um uh we relapse in behavior is um what I've learned and um from day one coming into treatment, um I started acquiring guilt. We have a philosophy called guilt kills and and uh from day one uh, I came into into this treatment program and uh I'm you know, I hate to say it, but there there was a lot of people that had a lot of dirt and guilt on them and as, uh, even as a new member, they, they let me in on that guilt, and they thought it was okay for this new girl to to know things um, that, that she shouldn't. And, like, it, it made it harder for me to be honest because if everyone around me wasn't being honest, how am I to be honest? And I still had that street mentality. I just got out of jail. And, um, you know, this I've been here, I've been in treatment for six months today. And um, I do believe I've come a long way, and I and mm-hmm. um, I know that relapse is. Uh, people say that it is part of recovery, but for some people it may not be. It may hurt them in the long run to to even relapse. Mm-hmm. But for some people, relapse can make them more rigorous in their um, in in their program. And I think that right. I might be one of those people because I, I feel more motivated. I, I feel happier or whatever. And um, you know, before I was depressed and I felt like I had nothing going for me. And, um, you know, that could lead down a really um, dark, shadowy road. But um, yep. this relapse definitely uh, put things in perspective for me. Um, uh, it, before, I didn't feel like I had any emotion. And now, you know, the relapse definitely brought emotions to the surface, and I was able to take a look at them. Um, 
So I'm think I I can't tell you when I made the decision. I just know that um, because I was getting dirty from the very beginning, that I wasn't able to be honest with myself or with anybody else. Um, that that's that's where it lays is my behavior. I didn't just uh, consciously or subconsciously decide. Oh, I'm um, if I had the opportunity, I would definitely get high. I just was uh, wasn't becoming strong in my recovery because. I was holding all this guilt for other people and um, acquiring guilt myself, doing small, petty things, minute things like, like. Um, well, let me let me just interrupt you for a quick second. So, just so our listeners know, when you use the term guilt and and dirty, that it's it relates to either you yourself violating rules of the program or being aware of other people who are, who have violated rules in the program and not making anyone aware of it. Yeah, accepting. uh, Yeah, sorry, program talk. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I I was doing a lot of accepting. Um, For example, you know, if I if I knew that uh, two people maybe had a relationship in the house, I I definitely would be one to turn the turn my other cheek or or, uh, pretend like I didn't know. Or, you know, uh, men and women aren't supposed to really share anything and. I was doing a lot of sharing with my cigarettes, and and it was just like little things, and they added up, deviating, okay. going so, through the store on an appointment, you know. So you um, know, but, you 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 know that you have to now hold yourself to you know tight, strict accountability. Yes. Um, and know that small things can turn into big things. Um, yeah. Yep. Exactly. We still expect you to be human. We don't expect perfection from anyone. But it's realization of when when I'm making a wrong step or going in the wrong direction and self-correcting. That's what we want to see, want to hear. And so, yeah, and um, I'm definitely like taking the steps. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you've done some uh, some good homework. Yes, I did. Oh, I've been doing homework for since uh, June 1st, <laughs> my, my um, new... Uh, Sober sobriety date is June first, two thousand fifteen. So I've had been putting a lot of thought into my life since then. All right. Keep up the good um, work. Thank you for the homework. It put things in perspective for me to actually think on that stuff. Excellent. You're very welcome. All right. Thank you again. All right. Have a good day. All right. You're welcome. Bye bye. She'd experienced a relapse, and so uh, last week I asked her to spend the week digging deep down into finding out where, where it started from. Sure, okay. So that she can then walk herself back to the point of where it started and start us walking herself forward and seeing how she got to where she ended up. So okay. seems like she's on the right track now. All right, let's quickly go to uh, Laura in Redwood City. Welcome. Laura? Hello? Hi, welcome. Hello? Hello? Hi. Can you hear Hi. me? Can, no, can you speak up a little louder? Yes, I can. Is that better? Yes. Okay. Uh, my question was um, kind of similar to uh, the, your last caller, Paige. Um what uh what my question is is how what is and um kind of how do i find the i heard you talking about finding the root of 
your addiction and why it is and what I can do to not drink and go into a relapse type situations mm-hmm. where I mentally relapse as well as behaviorally and then the actual relapse. Right. It's very important for anyone who has uh, suffered with addiction issues to get to the root and the root cause of of it. Um, because if you don't find out why you did what you did, um, then you won't easily recognize it if you see it coming down the pike again. That was my next uh, kind of uh, related question: is how do I prevent and catch the signs? But uh, beforehand, before a relapse occurs, by, by by doing that analysis of of determining, okay, what was the root cause, and so if your first question is, well, how do I do a root root cause? Is that your initial yeah. question? Yes. So, this is how you do a root cause. Let's just call a root cause analysis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> term. Um. You have to walk yourself slowly back to the initial point of decision, not when you actually started drinking, okay, Okay. but either when it was introduced to you, when you started having curiosity about it and things of that nature. When did I take my first drink and why? That's the starting point. Okay, when mm-hmm. and then why. The why is very important because some people it's, oh, my, my parents just gave me a little bit of, you know, wine. That was the first time mm-hmm. I experienced mm-hmm. alcohol. The other time it's, you know, my friends were drinking and I was curious and I had some. So whatever the, the, the when and the why is, that's what you have uh-huh. to establish. Okay. Once you establish that, it's then walking forward is, okay, after that, what was the re- what caused the continuation of it? Did okay. I like the way it tastes? Did I like the way it made me feel? Um, uh-huh. Did it did it did it provide a, an escape for me? Um, you know, and these are only questions you can answer. I'm just throwing examples right. out there. Okay. Yeah, my my you personal to, experience is all of the above. <laughs> you have to so. dig deep and find out. You know, why did I continue? Mm-hmm. So it got to the point that I became, you know, an alcoholic. Yes. Okay. And once you have answered those questions of how that process evolved to that point, you're then able to look back and see and say, wow, I can now see how I I went from this introduction to this full-blown, you know, state. Addiction. Uh-huh. Okay? And once you can see that roadway very clearly, you can see it if it ever starts coming back towards you again in the future. Right. Now, okay. for most, mm-hmm. for most, not everybody, but I think for most alcoholics, okay, it's a hundred percent or nothing. You know yeah. what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yes. There's very, there's very few that can say, "Oh, I can have one drink and, and be I, cool." Exactly, exactly. I cannot you know, do that. Usually, it's, one drink, one yeah. drink is a starter for them. Uh huh. So it's. Total abstinence is what usually works for an alcoholic. Right. I, I have never known one that can, because then they wouldn't really be categorized as alcoholic, am I right? If you can handle your alcohol and just have one drink. 
Well, people who drink socially or at celebrations and, and have no issue with alcohol, don't we don't characterize them as that. Right, but that's what I'm someone saying. Who, someone where the alcohol takes over their life and consumes them, and their life becomes built around drinking, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Okay, that's a different story. And so the goal is, if I've reached that point where I'm now, my life is now built around drinking, and I'm now trying to clean up and get sober, it has to flip. I have to stop drinking and build my build my life outside and away from alcohol. Uh huh. There are very few. I have I have not met one, me personally. Um, So I'm just saying, I'm not because I don't know everybody in the planet. But there are very few people who are self-identified alcoholics who can say, I can have one drink and be done. Right. Right. Most will tell you, no, I can't have one because if I have one, I'm going to have two. If I have two, I'm going to have three. If I have three, I'm going to have four, and you'll be picking me off the floor before the night's over. Yes, definitely. And so how do I catch the signs beforehand like the red flags of like behaviorally um that uh, I you would ha- be uh-huh. you have this is where the self analysis and the self introspection comes from you okay. have to determine because everybody's different you have to uh-huh. determine for yourself what are the things that trigger me uh-huh. what are the things oh, triggers, that would show yeah. as a sign yeah what are the things that would show as a sign to me that I'm heading in the wrong direction you know, and it could be right. people, could be places, mm-hmm. it could be things. I don't know. Only you know that. Right. And then once I've identified those things. Once you have identified them and you are aware of them, then you're then held responsible for making sure that when you see them, you don't ignore them. Okay. That's the key. Once you're aware of what they are and if you right. see them in the future and you ignore them, then you're responsible. Right. If you see them and you say, wait a second, I remember when I did that before, what happened? Let me let me do uh-huh. this instead. That's acknowledging, being aware, to be aware is to be alive, being aware uh, yes, of what's going on, and doing something different. Okay. You've answered, you've perfectly, I took notes here on the root cause analysis and all of that, and um, you've been most helpful Thank you very much. Okay. You're very welcome. Okay. okay. Bye-bye, Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. What do we always say about alcoholics? The most difficult road, that probably the most difficult road to hold in terms of, uh, of achieving this sobriety right. recovery uh, goal, sort of out there in your, just out there in your face and, and, and whatnot. Um, but whether you're an alcoholic, meth addict, coke addict, or, you know, weed addict, whatever the case may be, you, you always got to get to the root yeah. of why you you do what you do or why you've done what you've done so that you can recognize it if it ever comes back in your face again. Not not the drug per se, but the behaviors or the decisions that you have to make, you can recognize them beforehand or as they're coming towards you. Right. So, <clears throat> but it is quite the challenge. I mean, like we've said time and time again, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere, and people don't even really normal, quote unquote. People don't even really understand 
Like you can't you can't just have one. You can't just have a beer with a game or a glass of wine with dinner. It's Tough road, like you said. I, I can have a case. <laughs> yeah, I can have just one, one, uh, one huge bottle. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's rough. What's what's the huge bottle? Is that the Chablis? The Sh- Comes, yeah, like a right. Gallon sized bottle. Yeah, exactly. The Magnum bottles they're <laughs> called. Yeah, exactly. All right, are we going? Uh, are we going rogue on the calls here? We can go rogue on the top one there. This the the, uh, the three two five there. Okay. We'll go rogue on that one, and then maybe after that, uh, we'll drop a little Teddy for for our man here okay. who we're honoring, and then we can maybe take the other one on the other side. Okay. All right. Hi. Welcome to the show. Can I have your first name and your hometown, please? Anyone there? <laughs> maybe 325 didn't really want to chat. Maybe okay. we Maybe we go with the other one. All right. No 325. Let's go with the other one. Let's flush that call. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please? Hello, my name is Brian. I'm from Redwood City, California. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show. How can we help you? Um, uh, excellent. I had a question about um, how should I be um, like how should I manage my boredom in recovery? Well, that's a very important one, Brian, because I put boredom at number two as the reasons why people relapse. That's okay. just me personally. I put relationships, number one, inability to deal with relationships, number one, inability to deal with boredom, number two. Okay, I'm with you. And and trying to uh, occupy every minute of every hour of every day in order to avoid being bored is not the answer. You must be able to be bored and be okay with it because it's not possible, even though some people do try, Mr. Producer. Yeah, to have every second of every day Occupied. scheduled with something? Right. No. When, if, if you are doing that, I'm not talking specifically to you, I'm just saying out there, if you're doing that, then there's a problem. So if you find yourself being bored, is it a question, Brian, of having way too much time on your hands? Or are you concerned that the time you do have on your hands, that you may not use that time constructively? Uh, I'd say it's more uh, more so on a on the constructive level. Okay. Do you have hobbies? Hobbies? Um, well, yeah, I used to, used to go mountain biking and uh, ride a motorcycle. But definitely, uh, definitely open to go explore, uh, to go in the direction of looking at more hobbies. Absolutely. And again, it's it's not to occupy every hour of every minute of every day, but to uh, add some different experiences to your life, and not not only with the things you used to do uh, that brought you some some joy and some pleasure. Um, and so if you enjoyed ba- mountain biking, you should pick that back up. If you enjoyed riding a motorcycle, you should pick that back up if you're able to. Um, but think about what other things you in- might enjoy doing or trying and seeing if you enjoy doing and adding those things to your uh, your, your repertoire of available things to occupy your time. And also, you have to have time for Brian to just chill. And be with yourself and daydream 
and relax and kick back. I'll tell you, those are some of my favorite times right there. <laughs> <laughs> and and you got to be okay with it. Go with okay. that. Oh, um, to enjoy some uh, solid uh, R&I. <laughs> yes. R&R. Yep. Either or, sir. Absolutely. It just takes a little bit of uh, a little bit of work on your side to uh, to to think it through a little bit. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank very you much. for the call. You're welcome. Okay. Bye bye. I have boredom as number three. What do you have as your number two? Environment. Or like you say with relationships, inability to deal with returning to the old environment, the okay. old neighborhood friends, the old scene, so to speak. Okay. And then I would throw boredom, yeah, right up there, number three, probably. You can make a strong argument for that. Um, the reason why environment would get kicked out of the number two slot for me is because um, we used to say that our environment that we grew up in played a large role in why we ended up doing drugs. Sure. But then we looked back and said, wait a second. Why is it that out of the entire crew of, let's say, ten of us, five didn't touch drugs and five did? Right. And all of us were in the same environment. Mm -hmm. What was the difference between us? Right. And so we started looking even closer, okay, and we realized that the five that didn't, whereas, the, well, let me start with the five that did, we all had one thing in common. After high school, we kind of just stopped. Right. You know, everything kind of stopped for us. You know what I'm saying? The other five continued on with goals that they had, whether it was going to college, community college, or what have you. Sure. You know what I'm saying? And so they didn't get stuck in this 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 rut, so to speak. They had things they wanted to accomplish, and they were continuing to do the necessary things to accomplish those goals that they had set. A person once told me, you have high standards but no goals. Huh. I was like, wow. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Well, there you have it. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Rather, the the individual's inability to deal with said environment or yeah. whatever. Okay, yep. so uh, in honor of our our guy Joe Williams dropping a little teddy, drop some teddy. It was one of his favorites. That's what we're gonna do. Joe, enjoy. No need to worry no more 
bring this day to a pleasant end Girl, it's me and you now I've waited all day long Just to hold you in my arms And just exactly like I thought it would be Me loving you and you love it Rub your back where you say sore. Come on, get closer and closer, so close to me. Let's get lost in each other.
as Joe would say, today. <laughs> Welcome <That's> back. Perfect. <laughs> Welcome back to Road Chum Recovery. Uh, we just finished playing one of Joe's favorites from Teddy Pennegrass, the late, great Teddy Pennegrass, I should add. Um, how much time we got, sir? Uh, we're at the 10-minute mark. I'm going to cut you off as I do at the end of every show at about five minutes. Okay. So we've got about five minutes to play with here. All right, so let's go to uh, Jimmy from San Jose. Jimmy, welcome. Oh, thank you. I have a question for you, sir. Sure. Can you speak up a little louder, please? Yes, I have a question for you. Thank you. Yeah, my question is, is 90 days. Nine zero is ninety days enough time for a drug addict to be able to able to rejoin society. It is possible because many do it. Um, there are more ninety day treatment programs than there are longer term treatment programs. So yes, it is possible for someone to have ninety days of intense treatment and rejoin society and succeed in their recovery with one catch. And that catch is that they have a very strong outpatient support. I see. So after they finish that intense 90 days of treatment, that they continue with some, you know, less intense once a week, whatever it may be, type of of treatment to you know continue them out maintain that support etc until they just ease themselves out but it, yes it happens all the time okay so yes just continue to seek out patient tr- treatment at least weekly at least okay. yes okay that's that's what i figured because um, i'm being advised because i'm in a program right now and i I found a job, and um, I'm being advised not to leave the program um, because it's just, you know, it's not, they say it's not enough time, but I feel within myself that it's it's plenty of time. Um, I'm ready to get back into work and join society and pay my taxes and pay my bills, um, and but I've just been rec- discouraged, so. Here's my recommendation. Don't Don't be discouraged. It's it, what what's all that's happening is you have two sets of values bumping up against each other, and they both have the same goal in mind. So you have you, a client, who believes and feels strongly that they're ready to move on to their next step, and you have your counselor or whoever, your provider, whoever it is, who's, who who wants to kind of keep, you know, keep the brakes on, pump the brakes a little bit and slow it down a little bit with your best interest in mind. The way you resolve that is through conversation. Yes. You talk about what, what's, what, what's, these are what my goals are and what, what my vision is of how I can go about accomplishing them, and then you hear what the counselor's um, opinion is of that, how, and how far away are we from being right in line with each other? Are we miles away, 
or are we just 12 inches away? What can we do to get closer? Because ultimately, ultimately, me as a counselor, all I care about is you succeeding. Yeah. And if you believe you're ready to go, I, I can't put you in a headlock and make you stay. You can put right. your foot down and say, well, I'm going. And I don't care what anybody says. And I'm going to say, well, I'm going to, you know, God bless you, and I want you to do your best that you can to make it. And if anything happens, I'm still here for you. Right. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, certainly going to give you, I'm certainly going to give you my opinion on mm-hmm. what I think might be the best course of action. That's what counselors do. They they offer counsel. Yeah. So, yeah, because uh, I'm in a program where there's important. a bed. Uh, Jim, Jimmy? Jim, yes. Jimmy, just in the interest of time, I just got to wrap this up. It's very important that whatever you decide, that it's not done with animosity, okay? That right. it's done, okay? Because if some, when someone leaves someplace with animosity, it's not a good way to leave, okay? So that's why I say you have conversation. You talk and try and come yeah. to a meeting of the minds, okay? No problem. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, sir. Okay, you have a good day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, you've trapped me, producer. I'm out of time. Yeah, well, that's okay, because that caller who was on hold just dropped off. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you got about 20 seconds, and make it good, because we're not going to have you interrupting me when I'm wrapping well, up the show Well, I just want to say, uh, you know, we, 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 we did a special little show today on war stories, uh, something that we don't, don't, don't normally do um, for, for Joe's birthday. And next week, we'll get back on, uh, on topic, back on point, and uh, pick up where we left off from last week. All right. That sounds great. Uh, We appreciate, again, everybody who's listening, following on the page, the Facebook page, the the website, dreaming about us at night, whatever it is. As long as you're on board with us, we're loving you for it. Uh, Thank all the callers for calling and participating. Uh, Special thanks to Anthony, Joe's family, who called in. Um, That was awesome. We did indeed enjoy the show. We hope Joe enjoyed the show. We hope you guys have a good rest of the week and a safe weekend. We look forward to talking to you all next Tuesday. Go Knicks.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Some days, some days, some days, some days,